You'll be proud of this game, and you can do a great deal for football today. The whole tradition of the National Football League, there's just certain things that go together, the family, football, and we have it all today. Time never really stops for the great ones. It reaches out and wraps them in a cloak of immortality. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the NFL Alumni Lounge, episode 29. I'm your host, Charlie Boots, and we've got a great one today with a legend, Doug Williams. I got to send a shout out to my buddy, Don Kyle, at the National Quarterbacks Club. He helped make this episode possible. And this February 25th through 27th, 2021, the next class will be inducted into the National Quarterback Club. And you want to hear talent? Let's talk Kurt Warner. Let's talk our buddy Roman Gabriel, James Shaq Harris, and the great Doug Williams. So we'll be diving into that today, talking about the upcoming induction in Scottsdale and Doug's career. But if you have not yet purchased your tickets to the celebration, be sure to head over to nationalqbclub.com and secure your place in history. I'd also like to give a big shout out to today's show sponsor, Elite Sports India. It's been really fun for the NFL alumni to partner with Elite Sports as they continue their mission to build the landscape of India through sports. They promote the infrastructure and commercialization of university sports and are now in 64 universities in India, offering 16 sports for boys and girls with currently 350 events per school year. They're doing incredible work and have been incredible partners. To learn more about Elite Sports India, head over to EliteSportsIndia.com. That's E-L-I-T-E, SportsIndia.com. And ladies and gentlemen, Superman just stepped into the lounge, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> the legend, Doug Williams. Doug, how are you? I'm good. How you doing? <laughs> man, we're great. When we got the Grambling gun on the line, we are great, man. How's your day going? Going pretty good. Just in practice and, you know, just trying to get down to get some lunch in a minute, but doing good. I'll tell you what, vibes have got to be to the moon right now in Washington. Oh, ain't no question. Ain't no question. You know, it's a big win for us and uh, something that we needed. You know, it's something, too, that you having an impact right now as the senior VP of player development in Washington. You've Since you left the game and while you were, you know, on the field, you always had a passion for handing knowledge down to the next generations. Um, at what point in your life was that a part of you, and how important were young coaches for you growing up? Well, I think it's always been, you know, Coach Rob. And when I was at Gramlin, you know, is I used to go to banquets and stuff like that. When hear Coach Rob speak, and one of his thing has always been that no man is too big to coach the American youth, and and that's always resonated with me. What was the coolest thing about Coach Eddie Robinson for you? Man, just the way he can fire people up. You know, Coach had his own way of making you feel like you can run through a brick wall and knowing that you can't, but, you you know, you can't tell me I can't because Coach Rob said I can. <laughs> Absolutely. That was so cool. Uh, yesterday we were watching the uh, your football life and seeing when the Heisman voting was going on, the Heisman, you know, event was going on, and you were out in Tokyo and him talking about you and saying, that's our Heisman right there when you called that game win and run. I mean – how, tell us, take us into that Tokyo trip. Oh, that was one of the most awesome uh, compliments anybody could pay. Could pay, you know, finishing fourth in the Heisman. I thought maybe I would have got a, an invite to the Heisman dinner because usually they bring in four, but they only brought three in: uh, Ken McAfee, Terry Miller, and Earl Campbell. And uh, I was left out, so I went on to Tokyo and we played a game against Temple. We was down with three minutes left, and we 
uh, Skulls was 28 to 32, and we went 85 yards, and we scored. And after that, Coach paid that compliment, man. And, you know, the Heisman Trophy wasn't as big as being in that football game and being able to come back and win. So now what's it like? We hear that you didn't have running water till you were 14 years old, right? <laughs> Growing up in Louisiana. Now oh, what is that buddy. kid thinking getting off a plane in Tokyo? <laughs> well, that was a long ways from Zachary. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> yeah, you know, at least we did get one running water when I was 14 and, you know, going to Grambling and realize you got your own bed and just a roommate, you know, so it was it was one of those things. So it's it was it's growing up like that. It, it'll humble you. Let me say that. What was it like? Um, a typical day for you growing up. What were the big factors for your life? Well, you know, obeying your parents. Number one, my mom and dad worked hard. Uh, you know, they left early in the morning, came back in the afternoon, and as a family. And as a neighborhood, you know, like they say, it take a village to 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 raise a child. Basically, that's what it was. And you know, whoever lived to the right, to the left, in the front, to the back, had had carte blanche to do whatever they had to do to make sure we was doing the right thing. Well, now you, I mean, you're a man that obviously, in your legacy for for eternity, is a, a barrier breaker. When you grew up, you talked about seeing cross burnings in your hometown, things like that. What what is it like for you to see the climate that we're in today? Well, it's you know I was around for the first civil rights, so to right. me this is the second coming of the civil rights. Uh, the good part about this one, I think uh, we're a little more diverse in this one. You know, you see a lot of diversity, mm-hmm. whatnot. It's white, black, Latino, whatever other ethnicity they are, and all the other part of this thing, you see people across the world protesting about what's going on in in America which tells you our our living room is really dirty. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And now for a guy who, for your whole career, you were always one of the top quarterbacks in the league, but you always heard before before you were spoken about black quarterback, African-American quarterback. Right. How proud does it make you now to not only see the diversity at the quarterback position, but to see that these guys are now able to take these civil rights stands and make a difference. Well, you know, it's good that, you know, you're able to do what they're doing. You know, we, we weren't able to do those things back in the day because it was right. ramification. I think now they put themselves in, in position that they can have a platform to talk about, you know, what is going on today and, and, and mean it. I think that's important because, you know, we got to get past what it used to be. We got to hopefully this country get on the right track and do what's right and treat everybody like they're human. Did that start to annoy you at a certain point when, when you're racking up all the success? Or I mean, you it never seemed like it did, but did that annoy you having that subject matter every oh, time? No, I mean, that was part of it. That was life. And, mm-hmm. You know, you can't, you can't uh, get on your nerves if it's life because you can't get over it. You know, I think that's the difference in, in, you know, being white in America, being black in America. You know, sometimes if you, you're white, you don't see it or you refuse to see it. But as a black man, you wake up every morning knowing that it's there. Growing up, who were your heroes? Not necessarily, you know, football, but just in life. Were there any guys that you really my oldest, My oldest brother, Robert Williams. He was, he was the guy that probably has the most responsibility of me being where I am today because he made sure I was on the right track all the time. Whether or not he was doing what I got to do around the house, whether or not doing what I got to do in the classroom. Now, when you get when you get to Grambling, what, what's going through your head as the student, as the athlete? What are you thinking taking this on now? 
Well, you know, you had grabbed him to play for the great Eddie Robinson. And, uh, you know, one of the biggest reasons I went there is because he didn't talk to me. He talked to my mama. Mm. And he and he told my mama that I was going to go to class, go to church, and graduate. So the case was, was close. The deal was already signed. So as she concerned, I ain't have no choice. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> And the fact that Grambling was what it was at that time, the history and the winning and Eddie Robinson and so many guys from my area gone there, it was just like going home, basically. Absolutely. Do you think that we'll see a return to the talent level? I mean, you look at the Pro Football Hall of Fame. You look at all the legends that came out of HBCUs. Are we going to ever see a return to that talent pool, to the HBCU leagues? No, it's not going to happen. You know, hope is there, but it's not going to happen simply because of the economics. You know, there's a reason why the HBCU are playing in the spring rather than right now because they don't have the economics to do what the Power Five schools and those schools can do as far as testing and stuff like that. And uh, infrastructure, you know, just don't compare. So when you got a young kid and you visit one of the HBCUs and you visit one of the Power Five schools, you know, the charge is going to be easy for them unless they got a parent or they, their mindset is not caught up on material things. That's that's the only way you get kids like that. If, if they're not caught up on material things and realize no matter what the other people have that the HBCU don't have, either way, it ain't yours, no way. And at that HBCU, you make yourself a big name in American culture. And now here comes draft night. It's not the glitz and glamour as it is today, but it's draft night. And you get your name called, pick 17. What's going through your head? Well, it wasn't all the charade and all the parties and, and visiting New York. It wasn't that back then. You know, I think I think I was in the, in the athletic building in Gramlin. And, um, you know, I told Coach Robinson that uh, if I didn't go – between one and, and the third round that I wasn't going to go play. I was just going to go and teach and be a coach. Passion was always in you. <laughs> yeah, coaching was. So now you get drafted, and now now you're about to become Dougie. You're going to become Dougie for a few years now. Now, when you head to Tampa Bay, what's the energy like, and what what's going through your head? Do you realize right now I'm the only African-American quarterback in the NFL? What are you thinking? That didn't bother me. You know, I'm, I've been a competitor all my life. And just so have I got a chance to go play professional football. So, you know, I was like a kid in the candy store for the first time. So it, it wasn't about just being the only black. I know James Harris was still in the league and Vince, Vince Evans was there, but I was going to get an opportunity to play. I just wanted to play. So it didn't matter where. And just so happened I was chosen in Tampa. And the creams. What do you think of that uniform? They, they got to bring that oh, back, that a- man. That was a great uniform. I don't care what nobody say. That was probably one of the cleanest uniforms in the league back in the day. Excellent. That good old cream, sick of orange and white pants. You couldn't beat that, man. No, and the iconic <laughs> towel hanging in his waistband, man. Yeah. Too clean. Too clean. Yeah. Uh, yes, it was. Do you remember early yeah. uh, conversations with Coach McKay? My man, John McKay. You know, growing up, it was only two coaches I wanted to play for, either Eddie Robinson or John McKay. Why John McKay? Because he let Jimmy Johnson, Jimmy Jones play back in 1965. So I figured he didn't mind having a black quarterback. <laughs> and you guys make history together. Did you ever have any uh, any cool conversations with Al Davis? You know, Al, Al actually tried to trade for me after I was a free agent in Tampa. And then my last year in Washington, I did go work out for the Raiders and sat in Al's office. He wanted me to stay out there for a week till he make up his mind. 
And I just told him that uh, I was just going to just call it a day. And I went on home. I, uh, I would have Cliff Branch would always talk to me about you. And he would always talk about your arm. And that is like, I, I dream about that sometimes. You throwing a deep ball to Cliff Branch. I, that would have been something. But that's, that's why I wanted me coming when I was a free agent. When there was no free agent, and at that time, I would have loved to be in that silver and black, Man. you know, get a chance. And, and even to this day, you know, I used to, when, before he died, bless his soul. Every time, he, every time he saw me, he always said, "You rascal, you." <laughs> and uh, to this day, his son Mark and I, you know, we got a good relationship, and. He always tell me, say, man, my daddy loved you. <laughs> we all love you, but Al, Al loved you, man. <laughs> so, so take us, what's it like for you now in 1982, right? You're going through what you're going through with the Bucks. How were you looking at the USFL? Because it was, it was a semi powerhouse at the time. Well, first of all, let me say this, you know, in 1983, uh, I didn't play at all. You know, my wife died early on in April. And that's when I was going through all the contract negotiation. And as she passed away, my mindset was at that point, I had a daughter that was three months old. Uh, my mindset was I didn't care whether I played football or not. You know, I got my degree. Coaching is what I always wanted to do. So I'd go home and do some coaching. And I spent the whole year of 1983 doing substitute teaching at a middle school where my brother was the principal. Really? Yeah. Wow. What is what's how does a young man or anybody going through a time like that, man, to lose your wife and then to have a three-month-old on your hands and now your job, you're questioning, how do you keep your mental strength? What did you do? Well, you realize football wasn't that important at the time because, you know, if I could have gave up football, all the money, right or left arm or whatever to keep her here, I would have done that. But that was out of your hand. And that's when you put life in perspective, that you're not going to be able to do this all your life. What did you lean on to get through it? Did you? Was it the church, family? Yeah, yeah. My mom, my dad, my oldest brother Robert, my all my siblings, and all the people around me. You know, they weren't gonna let me fall. That's what family's there for. And now, do you see? Do you see that now? Yeah. When when you do all your coaching and stuff, is that? Do you put that into your teams first? The family aspect. <clears throat> it it is, but you know, you got a lot of these young guys. You know, think a little different, and then you know, I was fortunate to have that that support system. A lot of them don't, and you got to talk to them about that, and 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 let them understand they got to make some choices that's that's going to be beneficial to them. And you don't have nobody around you, so you got to be man enough to make those choices. So now you you head to Oklahoma. You're an Oklahoma outlaw, another clean uniform. What's it like? Difference between NFL and USFL? It was depth. We didn't have the depth that they had in the NFL, but we had a lot of players that could play. And uh, we had fun. You know, for two years we had fun. We was in Oklahoma. We ended up moving to Arizona, playing for Frank Cush in Arizona. And uh, the league folded, you know. But we had a lot of fun. It was a lot of talent in that in that USFL. And a lot of those guys left the USFL and, and went to teams and, and did well. How important do you think it is? We just saw the XFL give it another shot. And it looks like they'll be returning. We We had NFL Europe. How important do you think it is that a secondary football league can start to groom talent? Well, I, I think the the XFL that was in, in going before the pandemic and everything was was doing a pretty good job. Yeah. And when you look around the league now, stood a, stood a eight or stood a ten guys on the practice squad, teams got sixteen, <laughs> and they got a lot of veterans. So, so therefore, that lets you know that football is still going to be prevalent 
if you give them the opportunity, you know, if you do it the right way. And I think the last XFL was doing it the right way. Yeah, hopefully that could come back and be successful. Now, what's your favorite part of your current role as SVP of player development? Well, basically, you know, it's just dealing with the guys. You get a chance to sit down with them and find out who they really are, and, and you talk one-on-one with them and uh, kind of find out what they want to do in life or what they got going on. If they got some issues, you talk about it. If not, you talk about the positive or going forward and let them understand you're not going to be able to do this all your life, so you got to have something to fall back on. So we talk about things like that. If they got kids, family, just just being that for them if they want to sit down and talk. And a lot of them come and knock on the door and just sit down and just shoot the breeze, as they call it. What's it like to see Haskins develop? Well, that's not a surprise to me. You know, a lot of people kind of beat him up a little bit, but I think the kid got more talent than a lot of people gave him credit for, and now his confidence level is up, and uh, he just got to continue to ascend, and I think he's going to do that. It's got to be cool for you now, being back in the city you captured so much magic in. When you when we look at that Super Bowl where you take the win home, we saw the leg injury you suffered there. How bad, like the next day, how was that leg feeling? Well, it was bad because I had to have surgery a week later. You know, that I had hyperextended and had did some damage to it. You know, it was old bad knee anyway. All I did was wreck it a little more. But I wasn't going to stop and not finish the game, so it didn't matter. We can cut it off tomorrow because the game was over. (laughs) (laughs) There's no no quitting this man, folks. He's Superman. (laughs) What what was the celebration like that, man, that night? Do you remember that celebration? I couldn't because, no, I was in the bed because my knee was so – big from from the injury and I just Aww. spent that evening with my family and I had a, my daughter at that time was five years old and uh, she put everything in perspective because what she told me that night was during the game she went to sleep let her know it wasn't that important to her <laughs> <laughs> nothing like a reality check from the kids folks that's where it comes from yep man so what was it like for you uh, this past year when all everything's going on in Washington with the team changing the name and everything? To, what were your thoughts? Well, you just had to roll the punches and see how things uh, fall out. You know, if if the name was a slur and, and people thought it should go, we got to let it go. I think the most important thing, you realize that the the logo and the the mascot on the helmet didn't run back that point in, in Chicago. That was Darryl Green. Mm. And we got to make sure to understand the history of this organization in those seasons and the, the success that we had was about the people who was involved in them, not the logo. So you got to let that go and all the other stuff is out of your hand because, you know, you had nothing to do with it. You just got to let it work itself out and hopefully this past Sunday give us an opportunity to look at this thing positively and, and just keep going forward. Right, now you're sitting at the top of the division. I think the whole NFL felt a breath of fresh air for the Washington football team because you guys have been dealing with a lot lately. Yeah, that was that was a big win for us. We needed it. We probably needed more than anybody who won this this weekend. So we got it, and hopefully the kids, the guys got some confidence, and uh, we can work off last Sunday and, and keep going forward. Now, as a man whose passion is in coaching and giving back, if you could put one, one uh, factor – in and for every youth athlete, what would it be? Oh man, that you know you got to every day you got to get what you got, and if you got anything in your tank, if you give it, you you'll come out on top. But if you don't give what you got, your chance of being successful is not going to be there. 
Give what you got, folks. Now, upcoming February 26, 27, 2021, you are going to be inducted to the National Quarterback Club Hall of Fame. And listen to this class, guys. James Shaq Harris, Kurt Warner, Roman Gabriel, and Superman, Mr. Doug Williams. That's some class. <laughs> That's a pretty good class. And you know what? It's an honor and a humbling feeling. Uh, to be able to go in with those guys and being there with the guys that's already there. I mean, to me, you know, awards like that is not something you call somebody and say, you know, I want to be in that Hall of Fame. It takes people to look at you from a different perspective to make those decisions. I'm just glad that the decision maker gave me this opportunity to be part of that organization. Absolutely. And in the spirit of the National Quarterback Club, let's say Doug Williams had to lay out the Mount Rushmore of quarterbacks. Who were your four uh, top guys? Uh, why do you want me to do that? Oh, man, I got, I've got to make you, got to make you scramble. <laughs> you know, why do you want me to do that? I can right now. I can give you. I can give you maybe two. Okay. Uh, you know, I can. I can give you Braden and Peyton, Peyton Manning. Mm. I'm, 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 I'm gonna give you those two, and then I'm gonna put my ten on there. So I don't know who the third one's gonna be, but if we got five, we got to sneak somebody else in there. But. But I can definitely give you those three, and, and then, you know, you might have to sneak Breeze in there somewhere. I don't know. That's why it's not fair for me or anybody else to do that. Absolutely. <laughs> what, what are your thoughts right now on Brady being in Tampa? That's a fun storyline. Well, he he went he number 12. I wanted to honor number 12 well. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, my name is up on, up on the ring of honors, and it got number 12 by it. So when he come out the dressing room every day, I wanted to look up there and say, oh, that's Doug Williams, number two. Mm-hmm. So just just give me a little respect. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, I know he's he going to do that. I, you know, I'm just kidding because I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a Brady fan, man. <laughs> We had uh, we had Jimmy Giles recently on the show, man. And he was obviously just you know that's your brother for life, and he he was just oh that's raving. my guy. Uh, oh that's my guy. What did he mean to you in those years, having that big target in sure hands? Well, the fact that we both went to historical black college had a, had a plus in it, and oh. um, to be able to throw to Jimmy with his ability, man, he, he made it easy for me. When I when it was a clutch time and I was in trouble, I knew Jimmy was somewhere around. And that's a man, folks. That he's when Jimmy's around, you know he's around. That's a great personality to be around too. <laughs> oh, yeah. How do you survive the heat in Tampa Bay? Well, when you're young, you don't worry about no heat. You just go out there right. and play. <laughs> the opponents bothers, are out there dying. No, he he bothers me at this age. <laughs> <laughs> he went north, folks. He yeah. went north. Oh yeah. <laughs> When you look back at it all, is there is there a favorite game of yours through your career besides the Super Bowl? Oh man, yeah, yeah. I, I think it has to be the um, there's two, uh, and I, I know it's only one. Uh, being down in '87, fourteen nothing and thirteen below weather in Chicago, coming back, give us an opportunity to play the Minnesota Vikings and beating the Vikings in the championship game to go to the Super Bowl. What a game that was, too. Yeah, yep, seventeen ten. Mm. That's right. Now, when you, it's really cool asking you this next question. It's a question we ask often here at the alumni, and in your role currently, we appreciate your answer here. What is a piece of advice you give to guys transitioning from football life to NFL alumni life? Well, number one, I would say be appreciative of the opportunities you had. Uh, being able to be part of the, of the fraternity of being um, playing in National Football League. Because when you look around 
There was a whole lot of people in those stands. Some of them might boo you, some of them might cheer you. But I promise you, they would have gave anything to be in your shoes. So you got to be thankful that you had the opportunity that you didn't have to sit up there and boo me or anybody else. <laughs> it's just a privilege. It's just a privilege of being part of it. And it is a privilege to have you here on the NFL Alumni Lounge, man. I know your your schedule's hectic. Uh, you're doing a lot right now in Washington, and we appreciate you taking the time to catch up with us. Thank you. Appreciate it. Ladies and gentlemen, wish them luck. They're going to take home the NFC East this year under everybody's nose. <laughs> All right. <laughs> oh, what a man. What a man. Thank you so much to Doug Williams for coming on the NFL Alumni Lounge today, and thank you guys for tuning in. Next week, we turn 30. So, you know, some gray hairs might start sprouting. Who knows? But we're getting up there, baby. Uh, Thank you guys for subscribing on Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, and keeping the podcast growing. And a big shout-out to the National QB Club uh, for making this episode possible today. It is going to be a party in Scottsdale, Arizona, February 2021. For all the information and to purchase your tickets, visit nationalqbclub.com. Your boy Charlie Boots will be there. Uh, our buddy, Roman Gabriel, will be there. We're inducting Shaq Harris, Roman Gabriel, Kurt Warner, and today's guest, Doug Williams. It is going to be incredible. As always, guys, be sure to follow the NFL alumni on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at NFL Alumni, and I'll be seeing you back here next week in the lounge. Have a good time until then. Cheers. Cheers.